Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. Hey, what's up? I'm Amobi Okugo, a.k.a. a frugal athlete. So check this out. We came out with an all-new, extensive, brand-new course. Our course, Rookie Mistakes, is a course that helps young athletes and individuals avoid the common mistakes when starting your career. I provide real-life examples, lessons, insights, all that and more to teach you how to identify the rookie mistakes before you make them. And trust me, I've made a lot. It's all about giving yourself the best foundation and head start to build financial and career stability. For more information or to get the course, check out the link in bio. Welcome to another episode of a Frugal Athlete Podcast. Today we got two very special guests. As you can see, we're in the amazing city of Chicago, the Wacker Building. Willis, Willis Tower. The Willis Tower. Uh, wonderful background. Um, There's a Wacker entrance. Wacker, <laughs> yeah. Wacker entrance. It's a nice entrance. <laughs> okay, Willis Tower. But uh, here with two very special guests, Gershi and Richard, uh, part of Magma Capital Funds, Obsidium Capital Funds, and um, a new one that you guys just are have announced or going to announce soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. So we've started trading it. It's called Estes. Okay. Um, it's designed as a more like a lower volatility product, a placement for fixed income. Okay, perfect. So you hear all those words he's saying. We're gonna get real complex. Uh, <laughs> give us some background, Gershi and Richard, uh, about what you guys do um, in the space that we're in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been fascinated by macroeconomics and how systems work for probably my whole life. Uh, started reading a book at the beginning of 2019 about. Uh, how Ray Dalio, who was like a hedge fund pioneer and legend, uh, formed his hedge fund. And that kind of inspired a lot of what we've built so far. Uh, started this company in March of 2020, and we've been building since then. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> I've never, you know, dreamt of sitting here and do what I'm doing. But, you know, kind of like my background has always been, sports has been a huge part of my life, you know, a collegiate athlete. Uh, but that kind of led to like, sales positions and stuff like that. Um, had the experience with a few startups, helping build sales teams, um, teaching, coaching, mentoring, leading others. Um, and then due to the pandemic, you know, things happen for a reason. Found Magma, or Magma found me. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great ride. Learning experience, the whole nine yards. And I get to work with athletes, man. Yeah. It, it's awesome. So, and yeah. Just feel very fortunate, but completely different path than him. So no, exactly. And can you talk about that? Can you say you started March twenty twenty, and that was like I remember it vividly when the pandemic first started. So what's it like starting a company in that realm when no one really knows what's going to happen from a financial yep. standpoint? So I was pretty fortunate. I had raised my first round of capital, okay. uh, like venture type funding, in February. So I raised a million and a half in February. And I had that commitment going into the pandemic, so I had money. Um, the only thing we didn't have was investors because pretty much every investor was like, this is not relevant. This conversation about me investing in a fund is completely irrelevant. And right now I just need to take care of my family and my business because mm-hmm. you know, it was just a state of pure panic. Um, but that opened up an opportunity for us to really focus on hiring a phenomenal team, building out a, you know, a proper process. And I guess the way it, there's two reactions you could have to something like a pandemic. You can freeze and kind of, you know, just retreat into your room and hope for the best. 
Or you can kind of think, there's a lot of people who got laid off, a lot of really smart people. If the world goes to hell, then it doesn't really matter. Everything's over. Um, or <laughs> things yeah. or things will work out, which they usually do. Things yeah. usually come back. And so I kind of chose the latter path, started hiring. Um, and then pretty much once the CARES Act was passed, once the, you know, the first round of government stimulus was passed, uh, people's confidence came back. Uh, a lot of um, startups that had laid off their employees and hired them back and then I got to laugh because I had already hired them yeah so <laughs> no, that's what it's all about kind of being proactive and you know we talk about athletes obviously with the obsidian fund you guys are working specifically with athletes but I know when we first met and spoke hedge fund everyone's talking about hedge fund everyone knows I feel like everyone knows what a hedge fund is but doesn't know what a hedge fund is yeah. so yeah. give us some context to where does hedge funds align when it comes to alternative investments mm-hmm so I think it, it really Hedge funds is this like like you're saying it's like a catch-all term that's used for a like a vehicle that can invest money with less restrictions than other vehicles, and so what that allows you to do is formulate strategies that are like ways to invest that are more that are different that are more exciting than what a mutual fund might be able to do. So for example, you might be able to use leverage, which is you can borrow money and then invest more on behalf of the client. Um, so as an industry the hedge fund industry tends to pursue strategies that are more innovative okay. um, and they kind of slot into a broader portfolio in the sense that they provide protection against like downside events so let's say in the event of a market collapse you might want to have something in your portfolio that's going to move the opposite direction and so there would be hedge funds that would do that you might be you might want to get access to like litigation finance that's like a new big thing uh, where you might want to if you know you might want to fund some lawsuits and then potentially make money if those lawsuits were to go well. That's the type of thing that a hedge fund can invest in that a typical vehicle wouldn't invest in. Okay. So Richard, I know when we first met, you know, you're saying magma capital, <laughs> what exactly? And I was asking you like question after question. Uh, obviously, you know, I've seen billions, seen Wolf of Wall Street, you talked about litigation finance. How does it, you know, because athletes were so used to, all right, and LeBron James invested in this. Kevin Durant invested in this. That's more VC. Mm-hmm. How does it translate to the hedge fund space? That's a really good question. I think, so when you think of a typical type of investment into a company, you're usually investing in private companies mm-hmm. that are not yet publicly, that are not yet traded on public markets. Okay. Um, many, not all, but many hedge fund strategies involve different ways to trade public markets. And so you're while you're taking like a tiny fraction of a company, it's not like you're participating in the growth of that company. You're just trading shares that any of us can buy just in a specific manner. So you might be using machine learning, you might be using you know, some type of trading strategy that's been developed for a long period of time mm-hmm. and hoping that you can produce returns that are outsized from what someone could produce on a risk-adjusted basis. No, that's amazing. Now, Richard, I want to ask you this because you're new like me when it comes to Gershi's like, you yeah. know, I'm going to have to have like a translator for something. <laughs> I, know, I, still, I still do. <laughs> so for the athletes that are like looking to get more into the space of like learning more about hedge fund, because there's so many different buckets of finance, which I think is mm-hmm. fascinating because there's many ways to build wealth. What are some immediate action steps in terms of, all right, I'm new into the space. <laughs> this is what I'm going to look at. Uh, we talked offline. Yep. You know, the Economist is one resource that... You know, Gershie right. uses, but how about it for you? Yeah, so that's a great question. It, one thing is I hardly ever use the word hedge fund. Yeah. It just throws everything, you know, it's more of like a financial product is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And then you just dive into how it helps, what we do, 
how we trade. Because I mean, a hedge fund, like there's a thousand different strategies you can do, right? And you just you just kind of put it in terms that most people are familiar with. Um, so like by saying financial product versus hedge fund and stuff like that, quantitative hedge fund and stuff like that. Instead of saying that, it's artificial intelligence, machine learning type. Mm -hmm. So it's just the verbiage around it, you know, how, how we explain what we do and the opportunity for athletes. Um, because yeah, like, man, like I said, I studied my tail off when I first <laughs> took this position, you know, like series 65 and now it's still doing all that. Um, so, but having sitting down, having several conversations with like athletes yourself and just realizing how we have to tailor this message and this mm -hmm. opportunity has been super important um, in order to, these athletes to understand the opportunity in front of them. No, I think it's really important that you said that, like you guys break it down in layman's terms for us as athletes or regular individuals because, mm -hmm. you know, this is so complex, you know, the, the, the information that you guys take in on a daily basis and for you guys to break it down for us, specifically me, when I have like a bunch of questions, I think it's uh, it's a testament to what you guys do. So let's break down the Obsidian Fund, um, mm -hmm. what you guys do exactly for athletes, how you guys make this vehicle for athletes to, you know, build financial wealth. As you guys know, you know, not every athlete is going to be able to retire and, you know, get the top floor of right. the yeah, Tower or anything yeah. like that. But uh, how do you guys um, explain a little bit more? Yeah. So I think Richard can definitely explain it in a more um, more cohesive manner than I can. <laughs> what I would say though is just like really big picture. What we're trying to do is from a psychological perspective, there are certain days where people are more open to taking risk. Mm -hmm. And in those days, they tend to allocate more money to riskier assets. And then there are certain days when people are more nervous about the markets and they tend to allocate more money towards less risky assets or more safe assets. And everything that we do is just designed to optimize that type of flow between risky assets, let's call them risk assets, and risk off assets. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole world of assets out there. We invest, in the case of Obsidium, in, in 10 specific assets. And everything that we do, whether it's machine learning, uh, trading around volatility, all, all of the complicated stuff, from a simple perspective, all we're trying to do is optimize our exposure to risk assets and risk off assets on a day-to-day -day basis. No, I love that. Yeah. So, and then just, you know, I guess the, the birth of Obsidian. Why, right? As, you know, our, our first fund was launching, we, we were doing our thing, things were going great. So we decided, okay, let's, first it was like, let's do like an entertainment fund, right? It's just athletes, celebrities, artists, whatever the case may be. But man, just doing the research and really, you know, uncovering the athlete world. Well, I think most people think it's glamorous, you know? Yeah. Everybody's made it once you know they get that contract or they, they get in the league. Uh, that's not the case, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's when we discover, you know, this 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 market is underserved as far as a financial product to help build wealth and stabilize wealth and help athletes become that pillar within their communities as well. So we decided, you know what? Let's just focus on athletes and build this fun, this product tailored for athletes. And that's what it is. Like it's completely liquid. So meaning, you know. It's your money, take your money when you need it type of situation. You're not, we're not going to hold it. Um, and one thing that's really unique with hedge funds, most hedge funds, is there's usually a minimal investment. It's usually really high, 500 to a million dollars just to invest in a hedge fund. Yeah. That's not the case with Obsidian, right? Most athletes can't do that. Um, you know, and the stats out there are crazy. You know, Moby, you know this, but you know, 
the, the lifespan of an athlete anywhere from two to six years, mm -hmm. right? Most retire before the 30, right? Um, and then, you know, 20% of the athletes make 80% of the money. And then what's, what's devastating is 60 to 70% year or two years after the league, either struggling or dead broke. So that's, that's a huge problem. Yeah. And, you know, we want to be a part of that. So that's why we focus on athletes and just athletes and why Obsidian exists. No, that's what it's all about, and uh, you know that's why I gravitated towards you guys. And thank you guys for getting on the podcast. When it comes to you know simple things that athletes can do, you know you guys have worked with a bunch of high net individuals, institutions, uh, family offices. What are some of the the key points to their success that you think athletes can apply to ours? I think you want to focus on gathering assets. <laughs> I mean, it sounds simple and it's a lot of fun to have nice things. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately what you really want to do is you want to picture the lifestyle that you want to live outside of the league. Mm -hmm. And you can have some optimistic projection of, you know, how long your, uh, your career is going to last, but like also, you know, know what like a reasonable expectation is and think about it. You know, do you want to live on 20 or $30,000 a year after you retire from the league? Or do you want to live on three to five hundred thousand dollars a year after you retire from the league? And what do you need to do in order to get there? Mm -hmm. Because I think for a lot of athletes, you know, the focus is on that time during the league. Mm -hmm. But they have so much. The, the athletic community has so much to contribute after the league, and we really view ourselves as like a bridge during that period of time. So whether that means partnering with companies um, who can, you know, benefit from an athlete's image or likeness. And taking an equity stake in that company so that they can participate so the athlete can participate in the growth of that company you know whether that means investing a large because the the duration of an athlete's career is so short mm -hmm. you really want to invest a large portion of your earnings over that time period and you really want to spread it across multiple asset categories like one thing that we emphasize is we want to constitute a small portion of your investment pie you know whether that's five percent ten percent whatever the number is you know, you want to make sure your assets are spread across venture capital, private equity, public markets, hedge funds, etc. And like, it can be intimidating and yeah. confusing and all of that, but like, you know, you really take it one step at a time. Um, I think also there's this tendency to park a ton of money in real estate, be that like residential property, that type of thing. You know, take like a balanced approach to the whole thing. You know, you find yourself a money manager, someone who can introduce you to the world of, of finance and, you know, start to give you a, a big picture and drive you closer to specific goals. No, that's what it's all about. I love what you touched on. Um, like a scenario or analogy that I use is if you're a general manager, you're not gonna just get a team bunch of, a bunch of veterans. You're not gonna get a team of a bunch of rookies. Mm -hmm. You gotta kind of diverse, like you said. Mm -hmm. And earlier you talked about um, risk versus non-risk and you know, kind of using the data and machine learning. Mm -hmm. You know, for athletes, if we apply it to how coaches view us or scouts, they look at all this data to make the best decision mm -hmm. on you know when the optimal performance of the team is gonna mm -hmm. is gonna like want to peak during the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, how can you guys kind of translate that to what you guys do in the hedge fund space with the machine learning and the AI and all the the quant team that you mm -hmm. guys have? Mm -hmm. How do you guys apply it to some of the stuff that you guys do? That's a really good question. I think like for us, maybe some analogy can be had with uh, with baseball, where you you know you put up specific hitters that are likely to be successful against specific pitchers and so we're trying to do that in the financial market space so there are specific data points that are very useful in certain market time periods so like for example when the market is 
collapsing, there might be a specific data flow, let's say related to the volatility index, that could tell you a little bit about what's going on and could direct where, could tell you where you want to allocate uh, your, your investor's money. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the types of things that we'll look at to make the best decision on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, you're never going to be 100% successful. That's yeah. not the goal. You know, the goal is to be, I mean, I think with, with all sports, um, with, with every player in sports leagues, you know, you're aiming for something like somewhere between a 30 and 55% success rate, and that's yeah. like, you know, phenomenal. Um, with us, it's, it's very similar. We want to take a lot of bets you know, across a large span of time. We want those bets to be equally sized, and we want to ensure that we're right more than we're wrong. Uh, kind of like the house at a blackjack table. So if you can, if you can make it such that you don't have specific bets that, are, that could sink you, yeah. um, and you, you make a lot of them throughout a period of time, so long as you're right, let's say between 51 and 55% of the time, you're gonna make your clients a lot of money. Like one thing we've really, really been focusing on is risk management and risk management from the perspective of how do we ensure that once we've made certain gains we're not going to give up those gains because it's always harder to climb back up the mountain than it is to uh, you know keep rocketing upwards like this is one thing for me that um, yeah this is one thing for me that's like a little a little nerve-wracking about crypto uh -huh. a lot of people love crypto great segue you take, <laughs> you take these like 10 percent hits all the time and i think uh -huh. this is something that people forget about say you're at like a hundred dollars and you go down to 90 because you take a 10 percent hit you need to make back more than 10 percent to get back up mm -hmm. a 10 percent rise only gets you to 99 and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to make those dips as shallow as possible so that we can then you know kind of go up to the next hill and go up to the next hill etc yeah. and like what I would emphasize is like there is a space for crypto in your portfolio a hundred percent okay just not a hundred percent of the portfolio okay. <laughs> perfect <laughs> let's let's get into it because a lot of athletes are in crypto yeah. one of my biggest things is if, if I can't explain it to somebody else I'm not getting into <laughs> it so I still have yet to get into crypto hopefully you know with the help of you guys and other people I can like learn and like kind of navigate that space but what are your thoughts on crypto? You know, a lot of athletes are getting into the space. Shibu, Solana, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these different things. Like you said, you know, that risk management. But where are some ways that we can learn, you know, into this new form? Yeah, I think it's a really new, I mean, the, the idea of parking assets in crypto is a really new phenomenon. It's really kind of taken off over the past, let's say, three, four years. Mm -hmm. And so there are not a substantial amount of trading strategies that allow you to mitigate the risk. I actually met with someone recently who, who is doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm really interested to see where his fund goes. Um, but I think, you know, the in my mind, I could be wrong about this, but a lot of the value of, you know, an asset like Bitcoin and, and, and similar are going to come from investors realizing that this isn't a way to park wealth in a manner that's not going to be correlated with some other asset. And, and basically what that means is just that like when something goes up or down, it is not necessarily the case that this other asset goes up or down. Okay. And so you want to spread your money across multiple assets that are going to move in different directions such that like over time, your total portfolio is going to move more steadily because when one drops, it's not necessarily the case that the other drops. And so with something like Bitcoin, as large institutional allocators think pension funds, people that are running billions of dollars allocate a small fraction of their portfolio, that will put a floor under crypto. Mm -hmm. And so you, you do some analyses on like, 
Bitcoin buying. And, um, and there's been some cool stuff done. Like I think if you look at the quantity of buyers, the quantity of buyers of Bitcoin has like gone down, but the, the amount that each of those buyers is buying has gone way up, okay. which means there's entrance of institutional investors. And those institutional investors tend to stick around. And so you would find what, what should happen is the volatility of the asset should go down because more people are holding the assets. I see. Um, but, and, and so for me, that's the only way I've been able to find like a floor of value okay. uh, for crypto. And, and, but I think it's a real legitimate floor if uh -huh. it can continue on this trajectory. I, I can't speak to some of the meme stocks. I, <laughs> okay. I, it seems like a lot of people are having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and great, it's, it's great to have fun. Yeah, Just not, don't, don't put all of your assets yeah, in Yeah, I'm not sure if that's good for my blood pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. So Richard, obviously, you know, you work with athletes on the like relationship side, business development side. You know, when they're asking you about crypto, NFTs, NIL, what are you saying to, uh, to them as it relates to what you guys do with Magma and a sit Obsidian Fund? Ah, great question. I, 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 I be very, I, I'm very transparent, yeah. and that's just not part of our portfolio and what okay. we do, right? Um, usually, Gershi's on the call with me too, and he, he obviously can yeah. explain what he explains very well in our position on crypto. But it's important as far as like why, like yeah. why we don't right now or maybe in the future we will. But it's just a time and place where we're really focused on what we're doing um, and make sure we do that well, but you can't avoid crypto. Yeah. So we definitely have that conversation, but um, anything I can't answer, I can find answers to or direct that athlete. If they're really serious about crypto, yeah, I know this person, let's make that introduction. But um, for me, I just be fully transparent and it's not what, I'm knowledgeable of, so we usually don't talk about it, to be honest with you. No, I think it's important that you said that, the transparency when it comes yeah. to finance, because, you know, we was talking before uh, we recorded about finance, people aren't really transparent, no one gives up all the secrets, but mm -hmm. especially as athletes, you know, that competitive nature, we don't want to give up the secrets as well, like, oh, if I make a cool investment, I'm going to tell people after it's, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> after all my money, so yeah. how can we, like, build that transparency and, like, you know, I win, we all win, you mm -hmm. know, that type of mentality when it comes to the finance space. Yeah, one thing I think that we've tried to do that's really different uh, with Obsidian is to have every investor be a part owner in the fund, mm -hmm. um, which is something I'm really, really excited about. This mm -hmm. is going to be unveiled over the coming three months or so, um, because I think that win-win mentality, you know, where as, as we succeed, the athlete succeeds, as the athlete succeeds, we succeed, is so important, and I think often the 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 way that the hedge fund industry has been framed is if the if the investor makes money, the hedge fund makes money, and if the investor loses money, the investor loses money. So it's kind of like heads <laughs> I win, tails you lose, which is a really really bad a paradigm or model uh -huh. for an industry, and that's something that we really want to change. Um, I think you know, like a lot of industries, getting disrupted now. Um, the hedge fund industry relies on really close relationships, on a small group of people, and those types of industries tend to, um, they, they have tended to get disrupted quite yeah. a bit. And I think there's a massive opportunity to really disrupt that type of industry now, which is something that we would like to do. Um, and to your point about like transparency, I think we're going to be rolling out a portal over the next three to four months or so, and that portal would show investors on a day-to-day -day basis exactly what they're holding, because we want people to know there's an accountability that's that's really necessary and it's kind of absent. An investor should know if we lost money, that we lost money. 
because we need to be held to account for that. And on the flip side, an investor should know that if we made money, we made money because that's something that we're doing great. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the cool things about machine learning is that because the decisions that we're making are being driven by machine learning, I could tell you exactly what we're doing, exactly what we're trading, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't erode my competitive advantage. It doesn't take away our ability to continue executing because of just the costs of setting up that whole infrastructure and all the research that's been done. No, I really like what you said in terms of it doesn't take away your competitive advantage. Like, yeah, I mean, if you think of Coke, like everyone knows the recipe, but they don't know the secret sauce, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's similar, similar to hedge funds, similar to sports and how you guys go about it. Uh, Richard, I want to ask you, you know, working with athletes, what are some things that, you know, that you found to make some of the athletes that you talk to connect with successful versus the ones that may you know need a little bit more you know um training to get into the space Ooh, yeah oh man it's it's been interesting like it, i think each athlete's a little different mm -hmm. and because of what they know what what their, their education about what we do right um but you know the first part is is that relationship is that building that trust with athletes, right? It's just like, just like what Gersh was saying about the hedge funds, it, it, it can be a small group, just like with, with athletes. It's that locker room mentality, right? You know, if Moby's doing something, I want to kind of know what he's doing type of thing, mm -hmm. right? So for me, it, that's, that's part one, is that trust, that transparency. I think um, because of my background, where I came from, and I don't have that typical finance background, it helps, yeah. right? Um, but knowing that I, hold, I have a whole team, Right, like Gershi and Katie and our whole quant team that yes has that background that we need that background yeah. I can point to and direct to. But right off the bat, you know, it's kind of stating like why I'm here, why I'm talking to you. It's not because I want your money. It is because there, there's an opportunity out there to help the yeah. broader, you know, the broader picture, right? With communities that are affected and stuff like that, uh, because of a product like ours. So Right off the bat, you know, it, it's bringing people like yourself, you know, we're in that relationship who has obviously a, a great network of, of the athletes and that helps that, that introduction for myself to yeah. be able to just to explain the opportunity, right? It's yeah. not going to be the best fit for everybody, but as long as they know the, about the opportunity, you know, they make the best decision for them. So um, then once we get to that point to where, you know, we're explaining the obsidian opportunity, it's like I said, it's peeling back the layers of yeah. what we do, right? To make it sense, analogies, like sports analogies on yeah. how we trade, like the machine learning aspect of it. Athletes do it all the time. It's how you guys prepare for games. Yeah. It's how we prepare to trade day in and day out. Same thing, we learn from the past. You don't have to be undefeated to win a championship, right? Yeah, we don't true. have to 100% be correct all the time to have a successful fund. So, you know, just explain it that way, that type yeah. of stuff, right? It's, 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 been, it's been a learning experience and, um, you know, obviously still continuing, you know, getting feedback from athletes like yourself and people we've been in front of um, has, has been super helpful in the whole transparency piece, yeah. you know, that's how we're building our product. You should see, you should access to what your money's doing yeah. anytime you want to. No, that's really important. Yeah. I love what you guys both said about, you know, like a batter, three for 10 are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly, right? When it comes to, <laughs> if you're doing the finance space, it's like, Everyone's coming to see what you're doing. So, Gershi, I want to ask you, obviously, you know, you meet with so many different people across the world, high net with individuals, pension funds, institutions. For athletes that are looking to get in the space, what are some questions that they should ask in terms of um, looking to make 
investments, whether it's hedge fund, venture capital, mom and pop shop, Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant. What are some like immediate questions to mm. like, really kind of dissect? That's a really, really good question. I think um, at the core of everything, you need to figure out whether or not you can trust the person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you know with like intuition. And then I think you really need to size your bets. And so, you know, if you have a really good sense about some venture, some investment, you kind of need to see in the context of my overall portfolio, how large of an investment is this? Do I perhaps already have an investment? If you've got an investment in like Chick-fil-A, now you're making an investment in McDonald's, those are very, very similar investments. Um, So maybe you only keep one. Um, If you're making an investment in venture, and you're making another investment with some other person in venture, but they're both investing in like early stage tech, well now you have two assets that you might think of as different but are actually very, very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think, you know, both keeping yourself diversified, and that might mean going outside of your comfort zone. You know, you might be very comfortable with venture, um, but maybe not as comfortable with private equity, maybe not as comfortable with hedge funds, maybe not as comfortable with public equities, but kind of pushing yourself to, to get out there. Um, and then I think that trust thing, like really understanding in, in your terms how people approach their process of investing is super important. Like I think if someone can't explain, everyone has a system, right? Every, every athlete, the way that they approach their games, every coach, everything, everything you do in life, there is a system. If someone can't articulate their system to you in a coherent manner, then that is a problem. You guys see, you hear that? That's the, I love that you said. It. They can't explain the system in a coherent. Yeah, that, uh, thank you so much for saying. I that. mean, just think about it. Like, let's say you meet with someone and they're like, "I invest in things," and you're like, "Okay, well, like, how do you invest in things?" And they say, "I don't know, based on like whatever I think is right." <laughs> that's not a system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not. I don't care what their returns are. That's not yeah. a system. That's not a replicable system. You need to find people who have some system. If there's a venture investor and he says, "Look," I look for talented young entrepreneurs that are starting stuff in the you know, consumer tech products. That's a system, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, where do you look for those people? I look for them in LA, Miami, New York City. That's a system, that makes sense. Yeah. So find people like that. And, and I think also you wanna find people that are transparent about things. Yeah. That, and that goes into like that trust component. No, I love it. And you know, with athletes, Athletes can be very successful in this financial space because of the things that you guys both, you know, eloquently stated um, throughout this show. Uh, but systems, playbooks, you know, routines, rituals—that's all things that we already know. And mm-hmm. if we can, you know, connect with people like yourselves, other people that are willing to be transparent, willing to be coherent, um, that's a recipe for success. So yeah. I appreciate you guys. If you guys have like any closing, you know, words, you know, or any outlook into the new year um, with what you guys are going to be doing don't mind sharing uh, if you guys uh, can I know yeah Ger- Ger- no, no. Gershie just kind of revealed a little something about what we're going into the new year towards the obsidian probably about you know that extra component of our athlete investors also being owners mm-hmm. stuff like that so I am super excited about that I think that's a complete game changer um, with a product like ours and it's just an extra layer of no, just just awesomeness for our athlete investor, man. Like like it's not just we're taking your money. You know, you're, you're part of part of our success yeah. as well. The whole thing. I, I think that's I think it's awesome. I'm super excited about that. Um, other than that, you know, 
the unknown too. Like there's constant things going in this guy's brain. That's yeah. just, you know, I'm just like, wow, okay, yeah, right? I'll, and another thing is I'm like, okay, <laughs> right, right? you know? <laughs> but um, it's, it, it's part of, you know, a young company too. Yeah. Just the unknown, um, going through the ups and downs, figuring things out, doing it as a team. So I think there's a lot of exciting things coming for Obsidian and for Magma as a company, so. That's amazing. Yeah. How about you, Gershon? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of dimensions within what we do that I'm really excited about. I think from you know, a tech slash quantitative research perspective, there's a lot of projects that we've been working on for close to six months that have not yet reached the point where they'll see the light of day, um, but they're really, really getting there. And, mm-hmm. and like I'm talking about like a tech stack that's probably 10x the complexity of what we're currently running. Um, and it's gonna be really, really cool to roll yeah. that out and um, allow investors to see what happens from a risk management perspective when you go from managing risk on a daily basis to managing risk on a five-minute time scale. Um, nice. And to do so in like a systematic fashion. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited about that and kind of watching that happen. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the portal. This is a, uh, you know, a project that we've been working on for over 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, we've poured close to like 400 or so thousand dollars into it, um, really with a vision of like the present way, the present manner of onboarding, the present manner of investors seeing the results of their capital uh, is, is not good. It can be a lot better. And, and I think that's like a business in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've really just deployed resources to you know, bring, that into, bring that to fruition. And I think you know, a lot of 2021 was an opportunity for us to prove ourselves as money managers, as like, you know, capable of taking you know some capital and growing it in uh, you know a manner that produced returns on a risk adjusted basis yeah. that meant that we should run money yeah um, I think we did an amazing job in 2021 you guys are being modest let's be honest you guys did a hell of a job but, thank you okay. yeah <laughs> yeah well I, it's up to the viewers you know like, everyone's got to make a decision sure. about what's a, you know what's good for them but I think we've you know I, I think from where we were you know going from zero people to or one person, you know, to 13, I think over the past 12 or so, twelve to 14 months, we've raised about $13 million. Um, and, you know, returns to investors across different products have ranged from like 35% to, you know, 25% or so. Um, so I think we've kind of, you know, proven our credentials. Yeah. And now <laughs> it's time to, you know, really, really soar. Okay. So I'm excited for 2022 to go from you know, running what well, we're currently running to running fifty or hundred million dollars and showing that the product can be run at scale as well. Yeah, it's just so fascinating to me the way you know finance people talk about money. Like, yeah, we raised like ten million. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's not really that much. Oh, fifty million. <laughs> yeah, and it's just really it's really amazing to see. But thank you guys so much for joining. Real quick hits, you know, keep it fun a little bit. Obviously, you guys are in the hedge fund space, so just want to. How many people ask you about billions? <laughs> Uh, a lot. Definitely okay. early on when we were raising capital from, um, you know, kind of my friends yeah. space and then also like the connections of my friends who are typically entrepreneurs who had done well but hadn't necessarily invested in the markets. Yeah. They would always talk about billions. Okay. Yeah. So obviously you haven't seen it. you got to no, watch it immediately. I know. Which character do you, you, you like the most in terms of like, that would be cool. Like, yeah. you're already in the space, but like, you know. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I, I think I identify with Wendy Rhodes the most. Okay. Um, I think... Acts to me is, it's like a little bit more intense than, than I am, and not not like like I think I'm a pretty intense individual, uh-huh. but 
I try to keep it within certain boundaries. Yeah. I think he kind of tends to like go off the rails a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's true of Chuck as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're both kind of like the, you know, they're both like the embodiment of power just on opposite yeah. spectrums. Um, but Wendy seems to me to be a more like incredibly focused, incredibly ambitious, but elegant, yeah. articulate. Um, I, I like a lot of her personality type. Right. Okay, is it finance or finance? <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah, okay. Chicago pizza or New York pizza? Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm, New, I'm New York. I like the thin slice. Okay. Yeah. I hate pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I hate pizza in general. See? All right. Um, favorite uh, personal development finance book? Ooh. Ooh. That's a really good question. I'm, I'm going, uh, this was kind of mentioned earlier, but I, The Economist, that's been a huge help for me. Okay. Just daily reading, you know, and they have a great app. I, yeah, I, The Economist for me. Okay. Uh, there's a four book series by Nassim Taleb. Um, Ooh, about, okay. Yeah, you can just read one. You okay. don't have to read all four. He started off by writing a book called Black, The Black Swan, which is basically an analysis of like um, how people underestimate the probability of bad events happening. Essentially, the backstory, the reason why it's called Black Swan is because up until people assumed that all swans were white because they had not seen any swans that were not white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went to Australia and they found that there were actually black swans. Um, and we make this like logical fallacy, same thing. We make this mistake where we assume that because something has always been the case, it will continue to be the case when that isn't necessarily true. This happened with the housing market in 2008. Same with COVID. You know, you kind of assume that because there's never been a viral pandemic, but a global viral pandemic that it can happen, but actually it can, and it can yeah. cause all this destruction. And so when we were building the fund, we're, we tried to, or I tried to embed a lot of that thesis into the, the model, which is kind of why we have these different buckets that we select from, some of which are you know, catered for black swan type events. So I, I really like it. I enjoy his books. What a way to end it. Thank you guys so much for taking time to uh, you know spend time with my podcast. Obviously we'll be in, continuous conversations we have a relationship um gershi richard and i really liked about the black swan because as athletes you know we make this money make it to the league and it's like all right we're good now and that's not the case so it's important to be proactive take a lot of the lessons and financial lessons that they have taught us today and apply it to your own financial playbooks and more often than not you'll be you'll be successful and create that financial stability that we're all looking for so Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you guys check out the show notes and description. We're going to have a lot of their information uh, so you guys can reach out to them if you want to learn about, you know, hedge funds, finance versus finance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So catch you guys later and thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Most definitely. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.